Um, hello. I'm Bob. I'm the uh, drama director here at church. Obviously, that qualifies me to preach. <laughs> Honestly, I think the main reason I'm here is that the, uh, the custodial crew said they were busy this week, so I got the short straw. I, I, what happened, just to explain this, Pastor Brewer... Uh, I, I went out to lunch with him, and, uh, you know, he's always thinking far ahead. He's that visionary guy. He goes, wait, when are you going to come up and we'll, on stage and we'll interview you? He goes, no, wait, when are you going to preach? That's it. Yeah, you're going to preach. That's it. Good. So I just came for the Caesar salad. I didn't really plan on this. But they're letting the inmates run the asylum today, so uh, let's take out your Bibles. We're not going to read from it. We're just going to take it. They can't catch all of us. Let's just take it and go. <laughs> all right, no. Uh, John 15, that's on page 878 in, uh, in your Bibles. And yeah, I think probably now is a good time to... Uh, I guess if your kids can't read the Bible, then they should go. I guess, is that the uh, divining line? Uh, John 15, we're going to read verses 5 through 11. And as Mark always says, listen very carefully, because we are speaking the very words that Jesus spoke. We're starting in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me... And I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. All right. I want to make this uh, very clear to you. I, I, I love this stuff. Uh, I am a comedian. That's how I make my living. Uh, but I do take my faith very seriously. And I know just enough theology to make me dangerous. So, <laughs> hold on. It may get a little bumpy. All right. When, when I reflected on what topic to talk about today, I, I look back on my really close to 30 years of walking with God and what I could share with my church family to hopefully um, help you as someone who's gone down the road a ways. I've come to two inescapable conclusions. First, there is no such thing as a casual lunch with Mark Brewer. That's fun. <laughs> and secondly, uh, Christianity's hard. Uh, that's your big revelation this morning. It's hard. I'm not going to give you a sales job and say, it's easy, come on in, come on. <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, it's difficult. Uh, the, if it wasn't hard, we would just come to church one time and then never come back and just mail in our offering. But... That's not the case. Uh, we do need some help, I think. Um, need some tools to unpack to help us down this, what I call, treacherous road. So um, I think there are three secrets, three basic secrets to Christianity, uh, three things that need to be understood both by veterans of the faith and uh, you newbies with the new car smell. <laughs> Christianity is hard because one of the ways uh, the Bible describes it, describes our life as a battle. Um, all of our ignorance or pretending that it's not so does not make it not so. The Bible says if we could see the spiritual battle that's constantly being waged around us, we will be scared to death. So thank the Lord for small favors. 
Um, what I understand, one of the best ways to prepare for battle is to ascertain who your enemy is, find out what their plan is, and then prepare for it. And so since uh, Satan turned down our request for an interview, uh, I thought I would do the next best thing. Now, I love C.S. Lewis. And I, I think he's one of the ba- best Christian minds that the world has um, really ever had. And he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And just to um, explain that to you, it's done, it's written from a senior demon to his nephew, Wormwood, a junior demon. And so the advice, of course, is the opposite. And C.S. Lewis says it was frightfully easy to write this book, and it scared him how easy it was because he was giving the opposite advice. So we're going to go to the uh, Screwtape letters today and see what Screwtape has to say to his nephew, Wormwood, about the first secret of Christianity. My dear Wormwood... I was quite surprised to receive your correspondence concerning your new charge. Not his disheartening conversion, but your ignorance surrounding his fundamental need to believe in something greater than himself. Belief in and of itself is not your primary problem. All humans, whether they admit it or not, believe in something. No, your job here is to focus this creature's need to believe on everything but what the enemy wants him to believe in, which is, as I'm sure you know, him. So tell your charge it's all well and good to believe in heaven and all that rot when one's a child or an imbecile, but quite intellectually embarrassing in this age of scientific enlightenment. Naturally, the enemy claims to be the only way, the truth, and the life. But your charge is new enough to the faith that there should be ample time to introduce him to other faiths and ideas, all of which have been liberally laced with an assortment of delicious lies by our father below. You would do well to introduce your slug to many of the Eastern philosophies, astrology, materialism, Get him hooked on Sports Center for all we care. The point here is to make sure that his faith remains a shallow one. And you do this by crowding out all the thoughts of charity and goodwill with all the confusing and conflicting noise the current world has to offer. Now, I was hoping not to have to state the obvious here, but this age is a demon's dream. And the fact that you let this human slip through your fingers is has not gone unnoticed. You will be punished. But if you can get your charge to take back his belief in the enemy, perhaps I could persuade our father below to not look upon you quite so ravenously. When I was preparing this sermon, the pastor said, always open up with a good demon story. That's always the way to go. (laughs) They set me up. All right, here we go. Secret number one, very simple. Belief, simple as that, first secret of Christianity. It may seem very simplistic, but this, this is the one club that you can't get into unless you believe the one who started the club. Belief in and of itself is not... Enough. It's not just believe in something. Um, you can believe with all your heart that gravity does not exist. But if you step off the roof, you will discover you are wrong. So you can hang out with Christians. You can worship and sing along with Christians. You can even know the secret handshake because there is one. <laughs> but are you a Christian? 
So let's ask the most obvious question, why should we be a Christian? Okay, let's look at what Jesus said. John 15, 5, if you're there, uh, just right at the top. <laughs> Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's talking about abiding. Okay, now how much would that be? I'm thinking nothing. You may think you're doing quite well without Jesus, but with, um, from his perspective, you are wrong. In the, uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the author says that you should always start every project with the end in mind. And you work toward that goal. All right, then you will get the desired outcome. Now, this may come as a shock to a lot of you, but you are all going to die. <laughs> Sorry, I had to break it to you. All right, here we go. That being said, where do you want to go after you die? I mean, the cho- there's only two choices, and this is, the, this is the basics. Start planning now where you want to go and start planning accordingly. Only two locations to go. And one of them has absolutely horrible reviews. So, seriously, uh, why <laughs> would you want to go there? Even the demons know. It says the demons know and they shudder. Uh, John 14:6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Again, not a theologian, but it seems very clear to me, to my mind, that no one comes to the Father but through him. Okay, so, what does that mean? It means you have very little wiggle room. If this is Jesus Christ saying it, you might want to take it seriously. The majority of uh, this culture thinks you can get into heaven how? By being good nice, uh, generally believing there is a God, all paths lead to God, supporting the concept of church, believing the good parts about God, but not really talking about the messy, politically incorrect stuff. This is, um, I want to be clear, yes, you do get into heaven if you believe in Jesus Christ, but that's not really the reason you want to accept it today, have that belief. It's the quality of life down here. Face it, I always tell you this, you need help. How many here are just fantastic? None of you, don't even raise your hand. Um, (laughs) And the hard, cold truth is, nobody cares about you. I'm sorry. You can be married, you can have a relationship, you can have a boss, you can have a mom and a dad. No matter what happens in life, they're going to make sure their assets are covered first. I said the word assets. Yeah, there's a T at the end of that. Okay, I want to make sure. Um, and then they're going to check where the, when the chips are down, I'm sorry, we all just, we go back to ourselves. But here's an offer from the God of the universe. He says he'll be there for you day or night. Whenever, whatever the problem, whenever a time, whenever you, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about, you can talk about you the whole time. Find a relationship here on earth that you can do that. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. Okay, so why Jesus? Okay, fine, accept God, get into heaven, good life down here, why Jesus? All right, let's assume for the moment that Christ is who he says he is. Now look at what he did here. The word of God made flesh, died for your sins, brought himself back from the dead. Fairly impressive resume. If you can die on Friday, come back on Sunday, I'll have coffee with you. I will. That's important. (laughs) I came to faith merely because I checked off a little box. That's why I came to faith. Um, I was raised in a Christian home. I was not a Christian. Uh, I had been... um, inoculated, as I said, to the, uh, the faith every single week. So I was immune to the gospel uh, by the time I grew up. <laughs> People take that a while to get that one, but they do. All right. um, well, but in college, I went to hear Josh McDowell speak, and it, w- it was just amazing. Uh, he told me things I'd never heard about Christianity before. He talked uh, about the second coming, and I had ne- I'm Presbyterian. We just never got to that part of the Bible in Indiana. Um, <laughs> It was pretty much Matthew, Mark, Luke, good enough. All right, so, uh, um, but the second one, I didn't care about the first coming, but the second coming was amazing. This was fascinating. So there was a little box that said, do you want to hear more about this? And I just, yeah, I want to hear more about it. Well, when I got home, an evangelism squadron from Campus Crusade uh, came over to our house. 
I was tackled at the door. They wouldn't let me go until I prayed the sinner's prayer. So, um, so I became a Christian, um, and really that was, that was my turning point. But fortunately, they spent the next couple of years teaching me uh, what the Bible said, uh, that we call it discipleship, but it was just great. So um, my advice to you is uh, don't check that box unless you're really serious because, uh, man, they follow up. Yeah, they taught me a couple of things, and, and um, just to say a few of these, they acknowledge that it takes quite a lot in this culture to step over that line of faith. It takes a lot to stay there. Uh, what do you have to do? You have to uh, acknowledge that somebody is greater than you. That knocks out most people right there. Uh, you've got to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is who he says he is, and you've got to make sure your faith is deeply rooted. You've got to work on that because the storms of life will come and they will wash you away. Now, I could spend the entire day proving Jesus is who he says he is, but I want to, you've got homework. I want you to go out and get two books. Uh, the first one, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's by Josh McDowell. It's a great book. And then The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. The Case for Christ lays out a great case for his divinity, and Evidence That Demands a Verdict will make your head explode. Uh, just to give you a nut, the, the evidence is overwhelming. There are over 300 predictions in the Hebrew scriptures that talk about Jesus. Some of them are oblique, so we can narrow that down to 45 really big ones that explicitly say that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, for one person to even get even eight of those predictions is greater, uh, the odds are greater than the Spice Girls of ever having another hit. It's astronomical. What, uh, it's just amazing. So, <laughs> are you catching this? Belief is so fundamental. It's a building block of Christianity. If you come here every single week and you just like to watch, that's fine. But you are not a Christian unless you accept this. You've got to come to grips with it. We are all drowning. And Jesus is the only life preserver that's out there, babe. That's it. One. So, grab hold of it. Don't let go. All right. Building block. First secret. Belief. Let's move on to the second secret and see what uh, Screwtape has to say about number two. My dear Wormwood, I am quite disheartened to hear that your human charge is entrenched in his disgusting faith now more than ever. Well, no matter. We've come against this sort of thing before, and even the enemy admits that we managed to take back three out of every four of his converts. That being so, this is no time for you to slack off. You must concentrate your efforts on areas where your human is vulnerable, I am, of course, referring to the area of obedience. Now, don't ask me to explain this, because I can't explain it. But for some reason, all the enemy wants from these pitiful creatures is what he calls love. <laughs> and this love is in the form of obedience. Now, while we know of humans to be cattle that eventually become food, the enemy thinks of them as servants that eventually become sons. I know, it's absurd. And the enemy has this nauseating idea that rather than forcing them to do his bidding, he would like them to do it out of the goodness of their heart. Now, the enemy's unwillingness to force obedience on these vermin is, of course, a wonderful opportunity for us. For we know all humans are just slaves to their appetites and fears, so it's quite easy to get them to turn away from obeying him and to concentrate on their own petty little problems. Of course, the absurd notion here is that if they really did everything he wanted them to do, he claims he would supply all their needs and then some. But there's no reason to let them know that. So keep your head 
Because if you don't, and this idiot that you're supposed to be guarding goes down the road to actual obedience, well, I'll do everything in my power to feast upon you myself. <laughs> C.S. Lewis did put this on the radio in the, in the late 30s and 40s. And after one particular show, a woman called up and said, those tapes are absolutely positively demonic. <laughs> Here's a clue. Catch it. Uh, <laughs> okay, secret number two. Obedience. Most of you checked out when you heard that word. Because obedience is not fun. Let's be honest here. Obedience is just, it's not even close to fun. Maybe 150 years ago, people believed in doing the right thing, but now it's kind of all for me and I am that me. Um, whatever you're selling, if it fringes on my me time, I'm not interested. Josh McDowell says, I quote Josh a lot. He says, the fear of obedience and leaving those moral problems we have um, is one of the reasons that people stay away from Christianity. There's, he says there's three reasons. I'm going to keep the other two back just in case Mark ever asks me to lunch again. Um, okay. Unfortunately, simple obedience is, is just a, another cornerstone, another foundation building block for the way Christianity works. People say they believe in Jesus, but they don't bother to do anything he says. Are we that stupid? Look, look, John 15, 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Could that be any simpler? It seems to be fairly um, well laid out. So if you want to prove your love to Jesus, you do what he tells you to do. Duh. Uh, John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. He who loves me shall be loved by the Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Don't you want to have God disclosed to you? The greatest example of this is Christ himself. We are supposed to look at him as our example, right? Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? This is Matthew 26, 39. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. Okay. Did he want to do it? No. Did he do it? Yes, because that was what was demanded of him. Now, that's just our example. I, I use this analogy, and it only goes so far. But let's say you're a parent, two kids. You ask them to make their bed, feed the dog, that kind of stuff. Only one does it. The other one doesn't. Which one of, your, of them is your child? Okay, both of them are, but still, uh, let's, which one are you more likely to reward? That's what I want you to think. If you're a child of God, are you doing what he says? Why should he reward you if you're not doing what he has asked you to do? I believe that life is one big test, and you are set up to fail. Just acknowledge that. Just accept it today. God wants to know if you love him more than the stuff down here. That's why he gives us money, power, sex, drugs, all these things. And he puts it in front of us. And not, not as a temptation. God doesn't tempt you. But they are here, and he wants to. He says, don't do these things. And he's just standing back, waiting to see what you will do. So, let's say this is too hard for you. Just too difficult. Not going to do it. Not going to go the Christian way. This is what you can look forward to. Galatians 5, 19, 21. 19 through 21. It says, now the deeds of the flesh. Flesh meaning you don't have Christ inside of you. They're evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, and carousing. Now, I know a few of you are secretly thinking, sign me up. Uh, but it does say, 
Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, listen to what the great gifts you get if you do obey. If you have the fruit of the Spirit inside of you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you getting the connection? If you believe in Christ, Christ, Christ comes inside of you, and these are the attributes of God. When God is outside of you, you have the earlier attributes. You can't help it. That's just your nature. If you have him inside of you, that's the only way you're going to get these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, on and on. It gets better. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay. On your own, you fail. But if he's inside of you, inside of me, we obey him because he gives us the strength to do it. It's all about a relationship with God. If I obey him, I get the fruits of the Spirit. He's inside of me. I disobey. He holds back. I get to do it on my own, which means I fail. So, yes, become a Christian for salvation, to get to heaven. It's a nice little perk. But to live your life here, I don't know how you can handle it without God. How many of you are worriers? How many have anxiety? Feel anxious? Insecure? How can you live in L.A. and not be insecure? Who are you people? <laughs> if you have these things, God says you're a sinner. <laughs> God offers the peace that passes all understanding. Why would you turn that down? Why would you turn that down? The problem here is obvious. We don't like to obey. I won't show, don't ask me, no show of hands, but how many of you love, just wake up in the morning and go, I want to obey somebody. It just doesn't happen. You wake up, I want my way. And I'll negotiate until I get that. All right. Now we get to the hard stuff. Because the little things, you know, like don't kill. All right, I'll try. Uh, you, you have to, <laughs> once you obey those things, he goes on to the next step. which um, And this falls in with what we're doing right now. Did you know that God seriously wants you to give him part of your money? Sorry, I just got real personal there, didn't I? I'm on staff. I'm contractually obligated to try and get more money out of all of you. So that's just the rule here. <laughs> There's a thing called stewardship. Um, you, are, you are stewards of God's resources. And, it's, and this is stewardship time. Uh, we have this every single year at this church. It starts today and it'll end in two weeks when we come here with what's called in-gathering Sunday. You bring your envelopes down front with what you estimate you'll be able to give. It's your pledge, what you'll be give, able to give over the year. And the church makes their budget out of it. Okay. So that sounds like so much fun. Obedience is a drag. I was either on or ran uh, the stewardship committee for about five years, so I know what a big who cares this is to most of you. But listen to this, and I love this stuff. This is in uh, Malachi 3, 8, and 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You say, how we rob thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, so there may be food in my house. Test me now in this. Did you catch that? Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Only place in the Bible, to my knowledge, where God says, test me. Do what I say and see if it doesn't work out for you. This is the God of the universe saying, test, take him up on his word. This is fantastic. Of course, he starts off with the, uh, you're robbing me part, which is, that's under the not good category. He's saying, you've tried it your own way. Why not go to the guy who created the universe and see if you can do a better job of running your life than you can? I, that, I take that very seriously. I stand before you as one who can honestly say that he tithes. And tithes may be a new concept for some of you. Basically, basically 10% and offering is supposed to be above that. But uh, it came from the, the Hebrew tradition. I 
make sure that I give that portion or more of my money back to God. And I don't say this to brag to you, because if I brag, then I have my own reward, and I'm not squandering it on you people. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry. I say this to challenge you, because the Bible says we're supposed to be like iron sharpening iron. And if, no, if nobody steps up the plate and says, hi, I do this, then, then what example do you have? So I say, do this. Obey him in this area, and you will see what rewards you get. Folks, I am a comedian. I have a house. Case closed. <laughs> I have seen firsthand what God does when you obey. I have seen firsthand what God does when you disobey. <laughs> Obedience is better. Don't, hope, don't obey him in one part of your area of your life and then disobey in another. Give him the whole thing. Come on. And this is what cracks me up. You know, what's the biggest section in the bookstores today? Self-help. That's right. Self-help. So we have acres of books from people telling us how to fix our lives. And those books, I mean, a lot of them are smart. But you have the God of the universe saying, I'd like to help you for free. <laughs> and we go, no, I want to see what Dr. Phil has to say first. Again, how stupid are we? <laughs> Only one entity in the whole cosmos has got it down, and that's God. So why not just take his free advice? Now, I always tell people, don't get cocky. Because you're going to think, hey, I'm doing okay. I got the be um, belief thing down. I got the obedience thing down. I'm doing pretty good, you know. I got, I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself. Uh, yeah, you're setting yourself up, man. Because <laughs> about two seconds later, you go, ooh, something shiny. Look, ooh. <laughs> There's always something. Two seconds later, after you'll fall. Now, when you do fall, I always say, you know, you can either admit it or try and cover up the stain, and that never really works either. The example of David is the one that just, it's very close to my heart, because here's a guy who loved God. So he was a man after God's own heart, and he was always praising God. Then you turn the next page, and he's going, I'm a worm. I don't deserve to live. This is what our experience is all the time. We love him. We fall. We have to constantly say no to the stuff that's down here. So have some guts. Admit you blew it. Start repairing the damage to that relationship with Christ. What do you have? You got belief, number one. You got obedience. Obey him. Do what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You can have those two things and you will still not make it. One more thing. One more secret. See what screw tape says. But secret number three. My dear Wormwood, I have covered you long enough. Now I understand that your vermin not only believes in the one we took great pains to hang on the cross, he is actually obeying his commandments as well. Were you not my nephew, I would have you for dinner this very evening. But I do not, because there is still hope. And that hope lies in our best and truest ally, time itself. Because you see, not only are these humans unbelievably stupid, they're incredibly weak as well. Your charge may believe in and obey the enemy at this moment, but how will he do when the bloom is off the rose, so to speak? Will he persevere in the face of true hardships? Hmm? You see, here's the delicious part. Disgusting as it may be, the enemy apparently really does love these creatures. 
But he shows his love, not by lavishing them with riches, as logic would dictate, but rather by allowing them to endure endless trials and tribulations, sometimes to the point where they don't feel his presence at all. He allows this again and again until finally it begins to dawn on them that they can't do it on their own and they must rely on him. His desire is to replace their humanness, which we have been successfully nurturing for thousands of years, with his own nature. Now, this is where you come in. You must use these tests, these times, when your human does not feel the presence of the enemy, and at the pinnacle of it, whisper in your human's ear, your God has abandoned you at your time of need. You'd be amazed how many of these vermin actually buy into that one. When in actuality, it is at these times that the enemy is at the closest, just begging them to keep believing in him. Well, if you succeed, it'll only be a matter of time before we have your patient soul exactly where we want him, in our father's house down below. Of course, it goes without saying, if you fail, well... Let's assume the best for now, shall we? Your affectionate and increasingly famished Uncle Screwtape. <laughs> it's Halloween. We figured it was close enough to... Uh, it was. Number three, perseverance. It is a long road, it is a hard road, and it does not get easier. You get better at it, but the road is always there. There's still obstacles. If you read the book of Revelation at the beginning, the second chapter, it lists seven churches. Mark is going to talk about that in the month of December. Um, when he, um, He'll unpack a lot of that. But those seven churches, he constantly says, to he who overcomes... You will get this. Go home and read these. It's wonderful. You get a list of what you're going to get when you get in heaven. You'll get the, the new name, the, the robe, uh, all these things. But the he overcomes. Matthew 24, 13 says, But the one who endures to the end, it is he who shall be saved. Perseverance is the ability to keep your eyes on the prize, not get distracted by shiny objects, and keep going toward the goal no matter what. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Paul talks about Christianity being a race. He says it, it is a marathon. And he always talks, he's used that because he's running, he's always working. So what are you supposed to do? We, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. And I know this is scripture heavy, but it's good stuff. I love this stuff. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Hold on to this one. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me just take a moment here just to encourage you, if I may. Good job. You're trying. Yes, you cannot do it on your own, but you are here. A lot of society does not bother with this. You are trying. And if, if, if you're not in the belief part yet, keep pushing. Keep going for it. God will draw you to him. If a lot of these rules don't make sense to you, keep trying. Don't give up. Good job. Thank you. But And those of you who are in the faith, I know it's hard. You've got to keep going. And you've got to every once in a while just relax in Jesus and let him wash over you. Um, uh, it, it kills me how once we're in the faith, we think it's going to be easy. And it gets harder. Um, Jesus says you can do all things through him who strengthens us. And here's the fascinating point to us. 
if God knows us better than we know ourselves. Would you kind of agree with that statement? That's okay? He knows us better than we know ourselves. So why does he insist on putting us in situations time and time again where he knows we will want to quit? And we do quit. And he knows we will fail. And we do fail. What is he thinking? James 1, 2 and 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Everybody do that? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the Christian life. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where down? Yeah, right. Pop a blood vessel for Jesus. All right. Um. <laughs> Here's the concept for you to hold on to. <laughs> God only wants the best for you, and he knows the only way for you to grow is if he puts obstacles in your path. So you're supposed to thank him when this stuff happens to you because it's good. How do you run a marathon? Roger knows this. You train. If you don't train, you get in trouble. You can't make it the whole way. So you've got to train every day so you can run the race. All right. Let me close this up. We've got to believe in him. We've got to obey him. We have got to persevere and keep suffering for him. The system apparently just stinks to high heaven. But it is the only game in town. The good news is the creator of the universe wants to help you. And if you insist on doing it yourself, you will fail. If you let him into your life, you will succeed. There's great comfort in knowing that, what did he say? He is the vine. We are the branches. We should abide in him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Do you hear these things? Do they make sense? No. All right. (laughs) Belief, obedience, perseverance. B-O-P. Pop. Bebop. When you're wondering and you're in the middle of a trial, I should bebop. I should believe. I should have obedience. I should persevere. Bebop. What's the ultimate payoff? Matthew 6, 33. And we'll close with this. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Admit it, we all want things. Not so much material things, but we want the peace, we want patience, we want love, we want relationships, we want these things. But the problem is, we've got it backwards and we seek those things. He says, no, seek me first, and then I'll give you all this stuff. You see how simple that is? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, that all these things will be added unto you. People put off God because they're too busy trying to repair everything, and they can't do it. Are we that stupid? Got the order reversed. Life is one big long test to see if you're paying attention. And the answer is hard. Christianity's hard. But you have a helper who wants to help you every step of the way. Bebop, pass the test. I thank you for letting me share with you today. Let's have a prayer. Let's do pray. Dear God of the universe, thank you so very, very much for drawing me to you. Thank you for the gift of your son. I thank you for the, the gift of belief, for your desire to love us through our obedience, and for your gift of strength so we can persevere down this road. Thank you, Jesus. Please come into my heart and strengthen me every day, every step of the way. Pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.